the, the speaker that's getting flown in is really handsome, good athlete. Might be Caleb. <laughs> so there you go. Hi, I'm Chris Reed. If I haven't met you, greetings. Welcome to, to Vespers. It's good to be with you. I always approach teaching and preaching with like fear and trembling, honestly. To be able to handle God's word properly, that's scary. Um, so thank you. And uh, I was thinking of that song as we sang, I, I love it, Come to the Water, Taste and See. Let's go to the water together. We're going to look at scripture together. And, and before we do that, I wanted to just share with you a cool thing that happened this morning as I was teaching up in paradise. So we have a church up in paradise also. Um, we had just literally stopped the service and prayed over Josh, who is in Georgia, to be with his mother for her birthday. That's our lead pastor. And then our associate pastor, Brian, who's caring for his wife and three children, a brand newborn, and Angie has had some really serious health problems post-birth. And as we finished the prayer and I began to preach, they walked in. So Angie was there at church this morning. So... sweet sweet it was like okay God thank you just let's immediate answer to prayer let's open the word if you have your Bible if you want to do your phone or if you want to look up on the screen all right reading from the book of Colossians Paul's letter to the believers in Colossae it's Colossians 3 Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's not the scripture. It's actually 23 and 24. But that, that was beautiful scripture too. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your son's sake. Amen. All right. A few weeks back, Pastor Josh was continuing his series on the prophet Elijah. And something happened in this room. I was sitting right in the back. And we happened to be packed that week. And there was a point in his sermon where there was like a reverberation. I felt it. Some of you may have. And there were also spontaneous amens, hallelujahs, and a little clapping, which was really weird. And it's very unpresbyterian and very strange for this group of people, right? Yeah, Rory, thank you. And it made me start to think about what he had shared with us. And that's where I went. And that's where we're going to go. Is to do a meditation on work. So if you missed that, or if you want to hear it again, I'm going to recap that very briefly. That portion in 1 Kings 18. And remember, he's talking about Elijah the prophet. But he added another figure in that story that was really important. Obadiah. Two men, powerfully used of God, with a very clear purpose, but very different human beings. 
Elijah, kind of the superhero prophet, fearless, bold, frank, courageous, devoted his life to the work of the gospel, who walked into King Ahab's court. You remember this? Here's what he said from 1 Kings. Elijah walked into Ahab's court, the king, and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord. That's a fearless man. And then Obadiah, a very different man. He had risen to the point of becoming like the overseer of the household of the king. He must have done his work with excellence. But he, on the other hand, was quiet, humble. We know that because in his humility, he admits to Elijah the prophet, I'm afraid. I am afraid to go before the king. And yet he had been used of God also in this very secular job of his. What had he been doing for quite some time? Do you remember? This is not rhetorical. Hiding the prophets. King Ahab and Jezebel, have you heard that name? Queen, were persecuting the prophets. Obadiah had secretly hidden 100 prophets of the Lord, fed them, cared for them. He's fearful, but he does it anyway. And then Josh stopped and he started to talk about his dad, Josh's dad. His earthly dad. If you were here, do you remember? His dad was a physician and a, a really respected, admired physician. I got to go see the hospital where he had been a director in Georgia. An amazing man. And Josh was heartbroken because later in life, his dad began to say and out loud verbalize, I think people who commit their lives in entirety to the gospel, to preaching the gospel, ministers of the gospel, are perhaps more worthy of God's grace than me or others who don't. And that is painful and continues to be for Josh. And then he challenged us and he said, believers, friends, Stop comparing yourselves to other Christians. Stop having some kind of hierarchical idea of God's graciousness that pastors are somehow more worthy than a plumber or a physician. That missionaries are somehow more worthy than a banker or an educator. Remember that? That's when he got the amen struck a chord, and that led me to think about our work, because let's face it, most of our lives, our waking lives, are devoted to work. It's what we have to do. And that led me to that verse that I was given as a 19-year-old, as a brand new Christian, and I wanted to work for Young Life and do this volunteer missionary work, and my Mentor said, well, you can, but you kind of need to know the Bible, so you have to memorize a bunch of scripture. And I am so thankful that he had me memorize Colossians 3, 23 and 24, because it impacted 
This isn't hyperbole. The arc of my life. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord rather than as for men. So can we take a little time and kind of have a meditation on work? For those of you still working and for those of you like me who are at a different season, we still have purpose, meaning, and work to do. I believe till the day that we go to be with Jesus. So let's spend our time together doing that. I'm going to use a book to frame it because this book is in three parts. And um, so I'm going to just break it into those three parts. It's from Pastor Timothy Keller. And he wrote a book uh, that I read many years ago, pre-fire, and then it burned in the fire, and then I just went and got it again and reread it. It's called Every Good Endeavor. And this is in our library at our church office also. And he, and, he, and he talks about work in three sections in this book. And the first is God's plan for work. What's God's design for our work? Secondly, our problems with work. Why is it that work is so often like frustrating, mundane, seemingly fruitless at times, hard to get along with our colleagues, <laughs> revealing our own like selfishness? Why is work hard for us? And then part three, the gospel and work. What does the gospel finally, the whole counsel from the Old to the New Testament say about our work? So, part one, God's plan for work. What's his design? All we have to do is go back to the beginning, to Genesis. In the first few chapters, those beautiful poetic chapters of creation, over and over again, God's described as a creator, a designer and a maker. The words created and made are used over and over. He spoke the world into existence. He made things. He inhabited this world with creatures. And then the pinnacle of his creation, his work that he did with his, with his whole being was us, humankind. And he even said, I've made you in my image. You're going to be my image bearer. And then he gave us work to do, didn't he? What did he say for us to do? What did he ask us to do? Dominion over the earth, subdue it, care for it. He even let us name the animals. Cool, right? He said, I'm going to let you name all these creatures that I've created. If we're God's image bearers, if we're created in his image, to do his good work, then we indeed are workers to the glory of God for our own good and to bless other people. That's the God's design for work. To reflect him, to bring him glory, it's good for our soul and it's meant to bless other people. Believers and non-believers alike. All right? So that's God's design. That's contrasted mightily with most ancient civilizations. Let's, let's think about Plato, the philosopher, the Greek philosopher. Work was basically something to be avoided. Deny yourself of the world, separate yourself as much as possible, and spend a life of, of contemplation. For most cultures in that time, work was considered like 
less than. So think about those cultures. They would overtake another culture, right? And the people that they overtook would become the workers, literally. Right? Like the Roman ideal of a god would probably be a noble statesman. You know, the Greeks, a philosopher king. That's not our God. Our God's a maker. He's a creator. He gave us work that's good. All right. Vocation, another word for work. The root of vocation is vocare, to call. Isn't that cool? You guys are called by God in the work that you're doing. You have skills and talents and passions that I don't have. And you're called by God to use those for his glory, for your good, to bless others. That's his design. And when we think of that whole hierarchical thing, and Obadiah and Elijah and Josh's dad and that confusion and that sorrow. Uh, Doug Wyan, another elder, gave me a great thought. It stuck with him for how many years? He heard a sermon a long, long time ago. And when he heard I was going to talk about work, it came to Doug. This is a good one. Think about Jesus at his baptism. We think he was in his early 30s, right? He's being baptized. And what does God the Father say from the heavens? Say it. This is in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. By the way, this is my son who has probably simply been a carpenter because that's what his dad did. He's been making things with his hands out of wood and repairing things for the good of others. He has not healed a single child. The leper hasn't been made well. The blind haven't been healed. He's not preached the Sermon on the Mount, the most powerful sermon ever given. And God said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, the carpenter. Case closed for the hierarchy of our work. Blue collar, white collar, missionary. Okay? Stop comparing yourself to other Christians. You were made in God's image to do what he called you to do. Okay. As that 19-year-old who memorized that verse, I needed an example of some Christian person who worked and did it as unto God rather than for men. And I got that. God gave that to me. I was married at 21 to that beautiful woman. She was only 20. I, I know, it's insane. But we had older friends who were wise and, you know, who knew a lot about life. They were like 24. They're brilliant. <laughs> they still didn't have kids yet, so they weren't that brilliant, but... And Kathy, I was working nights at a restaurant, and it was like, this is not going to work forever as a, a married man. She said, I think I can get you a job at the bank where I work. And outside, I'm like, thank you. And inside, I'm like, a bank. Oh, a bank. God, really? I hate numbers. I hate the thought of a bank or even going into a bank. But I took the job because I needed the job. And it took about three days to figure out why that bank hired me sight unseen through her recommendation. 
And it was because of her work ethic and the excellence with which she did her work, but it went way beyond that. There's a lot of people who are excellent at what they do, who have reached a high level of competency. But this Christian woman was generous of spirit. She like gave time when she didn't need to to colleagues. I'll never forget, we hired this really spicy, really brilliant woman who was a first generation migrant from China, an immigrant, sorry, from China. And she got to the bank and she needed a friend. This is like the early 1980s, okay? And my friend, Kathy, befriended her in the most beautiful way. And I just had this, this literal vision of what it looks like to do your work unto God rather than as for men. She did it. It was awesome. I'll give you two more examples before we move on to part two. Um, my father and my father-in-law. Two men born in 1927. That makes them children of the Great Depression. For those of you who forget, the Depression struck in 29 and it, it lasted all the way through World War II, basically. So these men grew up in the Great Depression. One went the route of lying about his age so that he could get into the military to serve because that's what young men wanted to do. Teresa's dad. And he learned to trade in the military. And he became an absolute expert in refrigeration and heating and honed his craft when he got out of the military and then ran a business and blessed people his whole career. Not just the grocers who he fixed any hour of the day, right? Of their refrigeration, but the people who he hired and all their families. He did great work. My father, child of the Depression, ends up going to college, ends up becoming an architect. And, and many of the buildings that you get to enjoy, even today, 60 years later, Butte County Library and Chico High School and parts of Inlo Hospital my dad designed. These beautiful tributes to these men. Um, and it's rare now, but they devoted their whole lives, their whole careers to these professions. And they did it well. And that was a beautiful example to me also. Though I have to share this one quote because Teresa's father would love it and it's in honor of him right now. It's that great musician, Fats Domino, okay? I'm not making this up. Who is a hardworking musician, right? Here's what Fats said about work. A lot of fellows nowadays have a BA, MD, or PhD. Unfortunately, they don't have a J-O-B. Okay. God has given us all a J-O-B. It may be blue collar, and it may be white collar, but it's holy. It's sacred. The work you're doing. That's God's design. That's what work is all about. So part two, our problem with work. What happened? Why is it mundane at times? Why do we struggle so much? Do you feel frustration? Do you feel failure at work? Do you want to avoid it? What happened? We go back to the garden. Right? The end of the creation story. God's created 
He's made us in his image. And then he just asks one thing of us. See that tree over there? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I command you not to eat the fruit of it. That's it. Now, as a new believer, I have to tell you, it's sometimes good for us to be reminded. That seemed weird to me. I didn't get that. That just, the God of the universe, okay, I believe he made everything. And he's saying, don't eat of a fruit from some tree. is weird. But as I think I've grown in the faith <laughs> and begun to understand, I think, this is me. This is no theologian. I think God was really not giving us a command as much as asking us a question. So could I ask you, I think these are the questions God was asking Adam and Eve. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you believe I know what's best for you and will provide it? Do you believe I know what's best for you and will provide it? Maybe not what you want, but what you need. And finally, will you acknowledge that I'm God and you're not? Does that kind of make sense? That tree? Do you trust me? Do you believe I will provide everything you need? And do you acknowledge that I'm God? And you're not. And of course, they failed miserably. Adam had an accomplice, Eve, and then he had a second accomplice, one of those preachers he named, the slithery one. And then God met them in the garden. It's a very fearful scene. Read it again. So poetic. In the cool of the day, Adam and Eve heard God coming toward them. And he interviews them. They fail the interview miserably. And he said, here's the consequences. Sin has entered the world. Sin has entered your human heart. And it has tainted everything, including your work. You understand why we struggle with work? It's a result of the fall. Something absolutely beautiful given to us for our good. Now work is tainted. We should not be surprised when we struggle with work at times. I think we fall into like some traps, like as people we have too high a view of work or too low a view, too low a view, kind of like Plato, something to be avoided. Well, I have a job, yeah, but it's to get a paycheck because I need to provide for my family. So I go to work. That's not God's holy view of work, okay? That's not God's best. That's a very low view of work. It's a necessary evil. And then there's the high view, the too high view of work. Remember the Tower of Babel? When the people of God built a tower, and it says in the Bible literally, up into the heavens to make a name for ourselves. Oh, the hubris. Oh, the arrogance. Not to glorify God, not to do work to bless others, to make a name for ourselves. And that's the other extreme. Is like work becomes our identity. Who I am, Chris Reed, is educator. That's my fulfillment. And I pour myself into it. 
And if you're like me, someone who struggles with being a man pleaser and always has, then if your work becomes your fulfillment, then praise and criticism become inordinately important. Having people like you becomes inordinately important. And keeping people happy and never dealing with challenges. We know of people, maybe you struggle with it, who make work God. And it could be for financial material gain or accolades or maybe they want to avoid the other sacred things in their lives because it's easier to work. Vincent van Gogh, before he took his life, he said this about his work and I think it like summarizes the fallen world. <laughs> And the view of work. Here's what Vincent said. I put my heart and my soul into my work. And I've lost my mind in the process. Wow. I put my heart and my soul into my work. And I have lost my mind in the process. Yeah. Another result of the fall. Dualism. You heard that term? Sacred, secular. Physician, plumber, changing my kid's diaper, taking out the trash, secular. It's worldly. You do it. It's a good thing to do, but it's secular. Sacred. Praying with my kids when they go to sleep. Coming to church faithfully. Bible study. Sacred. Yeah. That's a result of the fall. Those things I named that were secular, they can be holy things. Doing the dishes can be a holy thing. Right? Um, music, the arts. A Christian does it, it's sacred. Non-Christian, it's secular. Yeah. Hmm. We'll, we'll talk some more about that in a minute. So we need a new vision. Because sin has tainted our work. And the gospel gives us a new vision. The whole gospel. From Genesis to Revelation. And it says that God's creation is still good. But it's fallen. And yet it's destined to be redeemed and made new one day. And that Jesus came and lived an earthly life and did work and died a human death, and then was risen. And we now have him in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And he can help us make our work sacred. Wow. That's the new vision of what work can be. Ephesians 2.10 says this. Anybody know it by heart? Seriously, I bet you somebody does. We are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. Here's our new vision. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christians, you are God's workmanship. He gave you good work to do so that you could walk in it. 
and you're going to be frustrated at times and feel like you fail at times, but you expect that. But you continue to do all that you can to bring glory to God, to bless others, because you know God has given it to you for your good. Not like medicine you have to take and God saying, I know it tastes awful, just do it. No, that's not work in God's plan. It's good for us. I want to give you another vision, too, of common grace. Have you heard that theological term, common grace? We're all created in the image of God. We're all image bearers, believers and non-believers. Secondly, Romans seems to say pretty clearly, every person's human heart has God's laws written on them. So you guys know it's okay to take glory and give people glory who are secular people who do great work. It's okay to like, well done, even if they're not a Christian. I know you know this. I don't want to sound like condescending. But sometimes we need to be reminded that people can do great art and music and not be believers. And unbeknownst to them, bring glory to God. God used people all the time in Scripture that clearly were not believers. And he used them for his glory. That's called common grace. We're all made in the image of God, and we all have his laws written on our heart. It's just how we respond as human beings and him calling us. So our new vision of work is to be under the Lord, to produce things, and to bless and care for the earth and others. So, to kind of close, could I give you like an example from my own life? <laughs> where this played itself out. So I told you already, I have always struggled with being a man pleaser. Do you struggle with that? Like, that's really important to you? <laughs> Part of it's really good. Like, yeah, you want to be an honorable person with integrity and bless people, but if it becomes, like I said, to get praise and criticism, like, deflate you, if you're trying to keep people happy, and if you want people to like you day in and day out, you're, you're missing something. And it's going to have like dire consequences in your work life. And so I had been in the classroom for like 12 years. <clears throat> and I had reached a level of competency and confidence in, in God's grace that I knew that I was doing my work under the Lord. By the way, it was with first graders for all those years, 30 first graders, six hours a day, five days a week. You can clap for me now, and I'm, that's not rhetorical either. Thank you. It freaks me out now. I don't know how I did it. I seriously don't. I don't. God's grace. But the superintendent came and said, Chris, I'd like you to leave the classroom. We have a new job we created for you. And I'm like, God answered my prayer. I was getting weary, to be honest, in my 30s. I don't think I can do this for 25 more years. Teresa, really, we had this conversation. God answers. Pray to God. Cry out to God if you're struggling in your work. He will answer in his timing, but he will answer you. Whatever that looks like. Maybe even just giving you a new vision of the work you're in now. But he gave me this job, and it just brought up all the man-pleaser things again. Because guess what the title was? Curriculum Assessment Instructional Specialist. The title alone was like, really? 
thank you for setting me up for failure. And by the way, you're going to do it at the school where last year you were just a first grade teacher. Now you're overseeing 70 people. It's a huge, it was a huge elementary school. Some of which were classified staff, yard duty and, and classroom aides. And I would, no problem, I can train them. And, and then the other were the credential teachers. And the new ones, yes, yes, I can do that. But you've got to understand, a lot of my colleagues have been in the classroom. I'm not exaggerating. As long as I've been alive, you see the fear and trembling? You see like, oh God, I'm, how do I? How will they like me? I'm supposed to be like their mentor. I'm too young. I don't have that level of confidence. I want them to like me. They, I, I want praise only. Criticism, I will fall apart. And, and God carried me through it. And, and one of the keys was this. I went back to Jesus. Philippians 2. Go home and read Philippians 2. Maybe my favorite passage in Scripture. The suffering servant, Jesus. Okay? And then I want you to think about the last act Jesus did before the road to the crucifixion. What was the last thing he did in the upper room after communion? Or maybe before. What did he do? He stooped down on his hands and knees. He dipped his hands in water. And he tenderly washed the dirty feet of those men. And he said, I want you to do this as I've done for you. Go out and do your work to, my, to, to the glory of God as a servant. And I began to get freed up again. <laughs> because I can be a servant. I can be a servant, even in a leadership position. I can be a servant leader because my God was. It's very freeing, you guys. It's very freeing. I can make mistakes and fail. But if my goal is to bring glory to God and do my work as unto God rather than for men, I'm going to be all right when I fail, and people are going to forgive me. And that's how it worked itself out in this job. God was so gracious to me. And on my very best days when I would come home from work, I would tell my wife, Teresa, I just, today I just felt like a conduit of God's grace. It's got nothing to do with me. Seriously, I'm not being falsely humble. Have you ever experienced that? I bet you every one of you, I know so many of you well, you're beautiful workers in hospitals and in schools and in all kinds of wonderful places and overseeing bus drivers and HR people and on and on and on. And moms, thank you, and moms who don't get a paycheck and get no accolades, hopefully from their spouse and friends, but raise kids up in the grace and truth of the Lord. So I just wanted to give you that encouragement with your work. Jesus was our example, the suffering servant, the servant leader. So whatever you do, you can go to that model, draw from him, bring him glory through your work. Do it with excellence. I got on a plane recently, and I very rarely do. And this is back to the common grace idea and people doing their work with excellence. And the pilot and the attendants greeted us. I was not thinking about that pilot, by the way. I wonder if that's a sister in Christ. That would be cool if she's a... No, I was thinking, I want that person to be extremely competent in their work and do it with excellence 
so that I will survive, right? So I challenge you, do your work with excellence, become competent, work on your craft, whatever it is. But then the second part of that is, as believers, we understand we're doing it unto the Lord, not for man, okay? Josh would be happy, Christians, our pastor would be happy if we could grasp that, be praised for his dad to grasp that. Okay. Whatever your vocation, know that God sees you and he listens to you and he is using you. Farmers, give us food. Thank you. God sees you. He hears you. He listens to you. He needs you. And the last thing I'll leave with you is Jesus, his words to us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To get the deepest picture of what can happen to our work after we meet Christ, look at this passage. When Jesus calls us, calls people to himself, he says he knows we're weary and burdened and that we need rest, but Jesus' cure for our weariness is a burden and even a yoke. The yoke or harness put on a beast of burden was a symbol of slavery and grinding toil. How could this be a solution to the problem of deep weariness? Jesus says that it is his yoke, it's his yoke, and his burden. And it's the only one that is light. Why? Because he said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He's the only boss who will not drive you into the ground the only audience that does not need your best performance in order to be satisfied with you. Why is this? Because his work for you is finished. <sighs> Amen. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> work on our hearts. Help us to not be man pleasers, but pleasers of you in this broken, fallen, tainted world. Help us to bring glory to you in our work. We pray in the name of Jesus.